Good evening, thank you all for coming along at a sort of difficult time in your scholastic careers. The subject I found to be a very wide one, life after death. Uh, in what context are we speaking of? Are we speaking, is there life after death? Is this what we discover? Uh, or is there evidence for life after death? What do we mean by life? Or for that matter, what do we mean by death? The whole problem of trying to cogently express ideas in this way within 30 minutes or so is pretty difficult, particularly if you consider having 30 minutes in which to talk about a subject, life before death. What would you say? In what points would you be interested? You see, there was problems with the subject to start with, but I narrowed the field down and decided to speak in three particular areas of this subject and leave plenty of time for questions and development rather than merely impose my own interpretation of the subject upon you. I think the question of whether there is life after death is one which has puzzled people for years, although it's a strange thing. It's only our society West European society, I'm speaking of Western society, European society, which seems to have concluded in the last 200 years or so that the probability of non-existence exists. Prior to that, uh, almost every society everywhere in the world mainly, uh, took it for granted that this life that we have today is merely one expression of many lives, perhaps successive lives, perhaps lives which are lived in different ways, in different animal bodies, but nevertheless one of many lives. And this seems to be so throughout the world. Uh, Fraser's Golden Bough relates legends and beliefs about this absolutely worldwide. And the idea of just 70 years is, is a fairly recent idea and it seems to have come, become popular as the spearhead of analytical science has improved its ability to understand what in fact it was set up to understand the nature of physical matter because after all you see we are physical matter aren't we and if we understand physical matter, then we understand ourselves. And if we look deeply enough, then maybe right at the heart of that we might find some idea of what life really is. This idea that we can find out everything and eventually put forward a mechanical explanation of life, if you like, was very popular during the Victorian. Uh, Victorian era and this sort of thinking is spoken of as Cartesian philosophy and poor old Rennie really if you ever read anything about Descartes you'll find that he in fact did not postulate that it was possible to get strictly a mechanical interpretation of life that was not his philosophy that was one half only of his philosophy the other half was that there was also what he termed, uh, I think the easiest way of summarizing it, is a glimmer of God within us all. 
he spoke in those terms in the 1500s one does speak in terms like that nowadays one doesn't need to use that, that particular sort of simile but a living spark he believed in two things extant within all living creatures and he did not expect to be able to explain everything by analytical science but as time went on and progress was made in an, the analytical scientific approach <coughs> so it, the claims made for it were expanded until now there is considerable doubt in many people's lives as to whether there is a life after death I had such doubts for quite a long time I was brought up in a society which seemed to breed such doubts it didn't seem that there was much possibility until I started searching <coughs> the thing which started my searching was a personal experience of mine which I may describe later and then again I may not but it was a personal experience which lit the fuse and this I think is true for most people that there's usually a personal experience that makes one begin to believe that there's a little bit more to life than merely getting the greatest amount of money possible and standing on top of it and, uh, and yelling Yabu sucks to everybody else <laughs> so, it's, it was that that caused me to start looking and I looked first of all, uh, first of all in books and it, I was struck by uh, as I say uh, in the Golden Bar the, the, the idea that most ways of understanding reality up to the very recent Western philosophers all took the idea of a continuance of existence for granted. Then I thought, well, if there is some kind of life after death, there is little point in there being such unless there was some means of communication between that which is then still living and us lot here. So I cast around in many ways and I, I went to a number of people who termed themselves mediums. Now, mediums nowadays are not as they were in the old days. <laughs> and again, that raises the question, why should this be? But I think perhaps the easiest way of showing the difference between the quality of evidence which was once available and that which is available now is to talk about a fellow called Baron von Schrenk's Notting or was it Schrenk von Notting? Notting, which is the important thing. He was a German scientist. And in the late 1910s and early 1920s he became very interested in the very subject that we're discussing and he was a man of wealth he was a medical doctor although not in practice his wife was also medically qualified uh, he moved in a society of medically qualified people and the, his interest was in the phenomena of which I think everyone gets attracted to in the youth ghost stories the materialization of dead people in the seance room this was the thing which he really wanted to understand and he brought the ideas of analytical, uh, analytical science to it 
he engaged the services of a number of uh, four actually ladies in France and each one was first of all subjected to a full medical examination by a qualified doctor to ensure there was nothing concealed about her person anywhere then she was put into the what, what we would now term a body stocking something which completely covered her right up to her neck then over her, he her head was put a, a, a piece of material which was then sewn round to the top of the bot body stocking it was a gauzy material which uh, made sure that even if she still had something secreted about her body she could not produce it through all this clothing then this the lady would go into a trance state and Nazi was interested in the production of what is termed ectoplasm now, in 1923, he published a book, of which I have a copy, which contains over a hundred plates showing this ectoplasmic material being exuded from all kinds of places on each of these mediums, and sometimes forming into hands, sometimes forming into pictures, sometimes forming into shapes. And, on, one on more than one occasion, he took small samples of this material and analysed it and the analysis showed every time that it was composed of attenuated something like attenuated sputum it was the sort of body liquids which one has in one's mouth and one knows this sort of thing and this was what it was composed of that and nothing else but it was only produced this very tenuous material under the best of circumstances by a very few people and was then capable of being analysed However, the pictures which we produced were sometimes of obvious copies of newspaper photographs. Sometimes, in fact, a model was produced of the face of a, uh, of a human being who was still living. And some of the articles produced in, the, in this way, or pictures produced in this way, were quite, so, uh, quite obviously so distorted as not to be really worth having produced in the first place. Shrek Lotzen, using an analytical approach in an attempt to understand life after death, had not realised that he was going down a path which was trying to establish whether any kind of life after death could produce pictures which could not have been produced in some other way. Are you with me? Quite a lot of psychical research similarly has had objectives of proving life after death but instead of that have produced the fact that the human being in the right sort of situation or some human being in the right situation and circumstances can produce phenomena the beginnings of explanation of which are not even within our competence as yet and that type of mediumship nowadays is very very rare indeed one interesting corollary to that is that the reduction in ability of mediums seems to have coincided with the rise of education and education over the last 200 years has patterned the brain very much to understanding the physical nature of the, of the world in which we live however there are still some mediums around 
some good ones. The average medium, if you wish to talk to someone who you know is dead, you go along to an average medium and she will tell you, she will ask you, uh, it's usually a she, but not always, um, I have a feeling about you, about uh, the name George. The name George is connected with you, and I see a fellow in a pork pie hat standing just behind you. And yes, he's 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 waving at me, and he's got a blue he's got a blue scarf with him as well. Do you know who's got a blue scarf? And you are sitting there at the end of that tra- uh, that thing, uh, finger, and they're thinking, oh yes, I, my auntie Mary had a blue scarf. But George doesn't mean it. Ah, I know what it was. She had a daughter called Georgina. And in such circumstances there is a, an ability to relate facts under pressure particularly if there is a desire on behalf of the recipient of that information to <coughs> gain some sort of comfort from the situation and often people do gain comfort whether from legitimately provable sources or otherwise is beside the fact in my view so long as they gain comfort there's a different form of mediumship too there is a, uh, this is very rare one says seldom sees it published uh, nowadays in, uh, in open session that is where an individual can just relax with or without suggestion and after waiting for ten minutes or so that person will then begin to speak in a voice other than their normal speaking voice um, I have a sample of that sort of thing here it's a metal tape, by the way. This was at a session where the voice you will hear is that, uh, not the medium, but uh, the questioner, is Mary, in fact, my wife. Um, this, let me explain, first of all, that under these sort of circumstances, you're, um, it is necessary for the person who is going to produce the voice to relax very deeply. You need to be in very quiet circumstances for this to occur and then usually nothing happens for about ten minutes or a quarter of an hour until you get a noise like <sighs> from the person who is relaxed and it then takes five to ten minutes of talking to that before coherency is uh, achieved and after coherency is achieved there's usually a great deal of deep breathing and long intervals between question and answer that which I have here uh, is an edited tape of uh, something which happened uh, nearly eight years ago and the person who was relaxing in this way is not a qualified in any way medium in fact he's a London policeman and <laughs> he doesn't normally speak in the way thank, thank you that he does on this tape Can you see me? 
You can hear me there, can't you? Can you hear me clearly? Yes. Good. Where did you last hear anybody's voice? something like a quarter of an hour's conversation which I condensed down. You notice that at the beginning the voice was very, very faint, very disorientated, monosyllabic. And then as it progressed it got more and more confidence and then you've got this conversational mode. And in fact later on, uh, toward the end of that tape, so about the half an hour bit that I just cut it at, um, I was asking this chap to try and think of someone who he knew, by that time we had established in our conversation that uh, he was dead. 
and also that he no longer because now he was dead he had a new body and consequently no longer had the uh, lung trouble which had brought about his death um, then I wanted to see if we could influence this uh, person to go away and enjoy themselves instead of sitting around in a somewhat grey misty area which is commonly described under this sort of contact and I wanted him to think of someone that he had a relationship with that he knew was dead and being 19 he couldn't easily remember that I asked whether his grandfather was dead no, no, no and after a while he, he remembered that his grandfather's brother was dead so I said well can you remember what your grandfather's brother looked like he said can you remember what your grandfather's brother looked like <laughs> which showed that, that this transition if that is what that is a record of uh, has made no difference the nature of the individual he's still the same sort of character and that's a good thing too uh, in the end he remembered that his uh, grandfather's brother always wore a flat cap which was grey in colour so I got him to visualise the grey cap and then to uh, since under these circumstances the respondents, the people who are speaking through the medium tend to be very very easily suggestive much more so than people are in real life I then said that under the care of the cap, having visualised the cap, the face of his grandfather's brother would appear and it did and then the rest of the body and in the end uh, he by that time knew that he could stand up, he stood up and went off with his grandfather and we uh, talked to him again about three months later but <laughs> this is the sort of thing which one can occasionally establish with the right kind of individual, a person who can deeply dissociate and such a person is rare and usually remembers nothing at the end of the, uh, of the material that you just heard but is that in fact the voice of a dead person? I can only tell you that I don't know you see, we've been to Tottenham. He actually gave an, uh, a house uh, and uh, a, an address and everything else. And we went along and checked it. Unfortunately, there had been building development. He came to have died in 1973, and we were there in somewhere about 1976-77, and could not trace the address which he gave. But the route he described to the school that he attended was correct and so often in psychic research you find that a body of fact seems to be right but details are almost invariably wrong however when you heard a voice like this and when you had a, a conversation as Mary was having then and as I have had on many occasions with uh, a fellow who claimed to have been a shepherd a hill shepherd and told me all about training sheepdogs a subject of, uh, about which I am utterly <laughs> untaught and uh, my policeman friend knew nothing either when you get this sort of conversation going then there is a feeling of aliveness about it which is not conveyed by written material which is why I brought an excerpt with me this evening However, the number of incidents which I have become aware of where a specific individual can be certainly identified as speaking in that situation is minute and queried. One of the best publicly known ones was after the 
crash of the airship R101 in 1928, where at a seance of this nature, instead of, uh, in fact, it was a seance which was set up by quite respectable people, including, including um, two newspaper, a news, uh, two newspaper people. Um, the seance had been set up to try and contact Conan Doyle, who had a great belief in continuity of life and uh, communication afterwards. And instead of getting Conan Doyle, they got the, uh, the captain of the aircraft, the uh, great airship R-101, which had crashed two days before at Beauvais in North France, who came and gave details of the things that were wrong with the airship and the, reason, the technical reasons why it had crashed. Details which were not known to anyone else until after the publication of the Air, For uh, of the Air Ministry inquiry 18 months later. It's these facts which cause one to ponder. One person who pondered was Dr. Robert Crookall. Dr. Robert Crookall was a man who for, served for many years with the, with the survey people, people who produce all the ordnance survey maps. And when he retired in the late 1950s, he then spent the rest of his life investigating these sort of communications, being aware that no one seems to be able to factually describe events after death. Uh, he felt there may be a generality which would serve that purpose. He reasoned this way, that if a Martian came to this, uh, to this uh, planet, suppose we had four Martians, and they each went to a different place on this planet, and then after spending a month on this planet went back to Mars and compared notes what would they see? They'd be, they'd be talking to each other one would be talking about yellow people in blue suits who were, were working most of the time at a time in fields growing rice and that there were no cities around and the, prayer, the, uh, the transport was in our way of looking at it primitive another one would speak uh, perhaps of people living without cities at all very few people around living in small white houses and chasing white creatures for their food another one would speak of uh, a vast metropolis with concrete uh, buildings and underground systems and all the paraphernalia that we're aware where we're well aware of the third might describe somewhere in Africa each would look at the other and say you can't be telling the truth because my experience was entirely different Crookall pointed out that if you then asked each of those people to describe the nature of the creatures that seem to be around, the commonalities would be two arms, two legs, two eyes, an ability to talk and communicate to each other, and many other commonalities at that level, although the surroundings might be different. If we are to expect correlation, one-to-one -one correlation between people in this life and people are, uh, after death, maybe we're expecting a little too much. He analysed, in fact he published two books, but in the first, uh, his first analysis was, uh, was over 400 such communications. He went on to, uh, to analyse over thousands of communications and found that there was a great deal of commonality in after death experience. And the commonalities seemed to be this way, that Immediately after death, there's a period of unconsciousness, more or less, which lasts for some little time. It can last for a very long time. That depends upon the nature of belief of the individual. That if there is a belief in nothing, that is what you would experience. Like our friend you just now heard here. 
all missed it, nothing happened. The after this, when you make contact with other apparently sentient beings, then there's the ability to learn more about the nature of the environment there, and then after a great deal of understanding of one's own self, understanding particularly the facets of one's own earth life, which one in earth life does not normally consider too deeply, the bits you sort of hide away from public gaze, Having really got to understand yourself, you are then ready to go on to another phase which is indescribable. That's a very brief summary, a too very long book. <laughs> but, Krugel's work has been taken quite seriously by many people. And it suggests, in essence, that life after death in its initial stages is very much a life of the mind without the physical body so much depends upon your belief your ideas the ideas by which you live your life if you have uh, a firm belief that the point of death is one where one either goes up and spends an awful line, a lot of time twanging hearts or hearts with people with wings on their back or you go and stoke furnaces. If that's your belief, that will be your experience until you learn that you are creating that experience. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? And notice the parallel with the situation in life before death as well. If one at, uh, approaches a meal with the feeling that oh not that again this is uh, I've had this so many times and I hate that stuff I've always had hated what shall we say tapioca I always hate that you look at it and you are nauseated and someone else who has never eaten tapioca and is really hungry would thoroughly enjoy that our experience depends upon our mental attitude and this is true of all things in this life why should it not be so of the next? Another phase of communications from after death may be termed those from voices or writings which claim to come from people who have been dead from some, for some time who have got promotion or have gone up a few steps. These come under a vast number of guises and some people... Uh, do enjoy quoting them as the absolute authority on all matters there is no absolute authority on all matters in my experience however the essence of these, this type of communicant the advanced spirit as one might say uh, is very much uh, often, is often couched in very moralistic terms morals of a nature according to the original earth life of that person supposing it had an earth life in the first place for instance there is a body of such communications which come through from a person who claims to have been Arabic and the moral tone is that of the Mohammedan persuasion majority of those which come through uh, come from English or American sources 
seem to be very orientated towards uh, the Christian morality and the seeking of oneness with a pattern which one can become familiar with on this earth by listening to people who have that understanding. I have one, I read one only of Chinese and oddly enough it says nothing at all about any superior being other than the superior being within you. Again, this seems to me a little too close to day-to-day -to -day awareness to be a person so far pr promoted as they claim to be. There are, however, other communications and there are, I can think of four sources at the moment of communications which have no no flavour of what might be termed traditional moralities in them. And these have a common indicator and that is that they claim that there is no such thing as good or evil. There are actions some of which are useful and some of which are far less useful we with our constraints in three dimensional uh, uh, world existing in time the results we see and interpret as evil but on a greater scale of things it is a question of action and Sabala's morality is concerned having disposed in a way that we cannot easily understand while we are alive before death of the problems of good and evil they then go on to say there is only one rule for living life and that is and it's common from four sources that one should never knowingly harm another living person either by word or deed knowingly is the important thing here and this seems to me advice which is possibly better than that tinged by any earthbound philosophy. So here we are. The evidence for life after death seems to come not from any physical manifestation brought about by supposedly live minds on the other side of a barrier. It comes about by communication from from minds no longer restrained by the vehicles of three-dimensional tick-tock time that we at the moment are inhabiting. It appears to be a mental world and works directly on that next world in the same way that our minds work in conditioning us in this world except there without the burden of the vehicle to express oneself through the results are clearer and quicker last point if there is a world which is not constrained by three dimensional tick tock thinking by then I mean time as we know it is no longer the significance that it is to us. 
And we all experience this. We go to sleep or we daydream. We find that when we daydream, the time passes very, very quickly sometimes. When we dream, we often dream sequences which would take a long, long time in the real world, which take perhaps one or two minutes in a dream or daydream. Our minds are not restricted to the concerns which our brains are. And I would suggest, therefore, that life after death is the freedom of your mind unconstrained by the glasses that we all wear called the brain through which we interpret and work with physical sensation. We are as much dead now as we will be in a hundred years from now. And possibly in a hundred years from now we will be a lot more alive than many of us sometimes feel. <laughs> Questions? You suggest that each person's experience after death will be unique to himself or other his beliefs. But I've read works by Dr. Moody who says he's gathered thousands of cases and he says there is a pattern which happens to everybody and it's the same. What have you got to say to that? Moody, Moody in fact, has taken Crookall's work a stage further. The overall pattern um, uh, for both uh, is much the same that death uh, I- assuming an aware person shall we rather than one who doesn't believe that there is any existence after death uh, with an aware person then there seems to be a leaving the body and going often through a tube or channel or something of that uh, there's often a vision of light and then there, uh, there becomes a knowledge of uh, of energy uh, you know Moody's ideas now this sequence has been well established and the originator of that way in fact was Crookall and this does seem to be so. What I'm speaking of is not the, the, that particular area, which are the events of transition, as one might term it. I'm speaking of the after that, when one settles down. From then on, that, as in this world, that which you perceive is limited to your own ability and understanding. I'll put it this way. If you were to go to Australia right now and I'm not wishing that on anyone but if you were to do that and you were to go to people who are still living the old aboriginal life then you would find that after a while they would decide that it would be a very good idea to move 40 miles over two mountain ranges and you as a rational being and everyone else from our society would not understand any reason why that should be Having got there, though, you'll find they will have arrived just at the right place when just enough rain fell to keep their cattle in food, whereas in the starting point there had been no rain. It, is, it has been established, thoroughly established, that they have an ability to know where rain will fall. Why? because in a place like Australia <laughs> aboriginal jokes don't keep on without that we have never had that need and therefore we, have, we don't have that ability now the world to an aboriginal is a different world from that which you and I inhabit in that the considerations by which decisions are made are different 
Does that help you? Unto death is what you say. <laughs> you, you, in fact, made, uh, made two points there. One was the succession immediately after death, which already describes <coughs> the parallel, uh, of course. And then, am I saying that each person then inhabits an individual world? No more than this world is an individual world, but the interpretation we put upon it are unique to ourselves. Do you believe that people come back in another form, or do they stay in this, like, when they die, they stay in the same, like, um, like through awareness sort of, sort of stage? One of the problems in this area is the, the difficulty of selecting words which truly convey mm -hmm. what you... Yeah, um, I think what you're, 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 you're referring to here is reincarnation. Uh, do people uh, do you come back in another body the, all the evidence seems to be that the linear um, ideas that most people impose on reincarnation are unlikely to be so in other words we tend to think of you know I, I was a queen in Babylon and you were a Christian slave or vice versa depending upon your sex and <laughs> We seem to, seem to think that uh, you know we, we existed 500 BC, 100 uh, AD, 1600, and now. But is there any reason why that should be so? I, my, one of my last points was that time, as we know it, does not appear to exist in the same way after death. That is something very difficult for us <coughs> to understand. And yet you experience uh, in daydream or in dream regularly. Linearity of time is an imposition of the brain upon the reality that we understand. Now, <laughs> haven't finished yet, hang on. <laughs> Hold on to that one, I'll come back to you. Right? Now, getting to your question there. If, in fact, once you leave the, this constraint through your brain of your awareness, and get somewhere where awareness is not constrained by time in the same way then linearity does not necessarily follow in incarnations again your question presumed that the only form of life which we can animate is the human body on this earth uh, just a moment. <laughs> that was my understanding of what you said and it was not what you wished to convey I appreciate that, thank you there, it is quite likely that there are other worlds, other realities in fact subatomic physics tells us that there are so many dimensions we can't measure them and therefore so many realities we can't measure them and thus we are not in reincarnation going uh, necessarily going to come back to this earth All right. lastly what is it that is reincarnating certainly there are very very few records of people who um, except in societies which encourage reinc uh, talking of reincarnation in young children who can specifically identify a previous life very few indeed and my understanding of that is this that the amount of our true self our totality that we can express through our brain is minute 
And when you go on beyond the stage which I described as the where you go on to a, a greater world after death, this is the the final uh, well after the death, the death part itself. It is then that when you truly understand the benefit of your experiences as this particular object, you then unite with your greater self and another small portion is the further thing which then reincarnates. The totality of experience then relates to the larger self, not to the individuality expressed through a particular brain. Something like uh, 90% of people can allow themselves, if you wish to use these words rather than any which commit oneself, to daydream of a former life in great detail under those circumstances and to write down two pages of A4 when they come back from it. It is not an unusual ability. We all have this ability to recall what appear to be former lives. There is no, there is no evidence that I am aware of, uh, I'm aware of, which conclusively proves that they were, are the same person reliving these events. Although frequently events are stated correctly in historical uh, sequence, and details are given of, for instance, the shape of cutlery, the nature of objects in a room which are certainly unknown to me and unknown to that person and later people ring me up and say hey, I found out that, well, that su such and such objects did exist in such a civilization, in such and such a place it's very suggestive but we tend to limit our understanding of our lives now and our lives uh, after death in this very narrow constraint of a three-dimensional life lived in a linear sequential, uh, sequential pattern. If you gain nothing else from all my vaporings this evening, if you gain the idea that possibly linearity of time is something imposed by the brain, and that the experience of three-dimensional reality is a constraint, a narrowing of our mind, which is the seat of our awareness, then maybe I haven't completely wasted your time. We tend to live with an understanding that awareness, consciousness, must have a vehicle, and that that vehicle is our brain. And yet that is not so. One can be aware without the brain being present. I'll give you two examples of that. Remember I was talking about this question of uh, possibly remembering past lives. In the last session, uh, no, it wasn't the last session, it was one I did at Woking about a year or so ago. At the end of the session, when everyone was supposed to wake up and start writing down the details of their past lives, uh, one gentleman didn't. So I went across close to him and I looked at him quite intently. And I, uh, I knew that he was perfectly all right. It was just that he, he was just dozing a little longer. And finally he opened his eyes OK, write down your bits and pieces now. And when he had done that at the break, he came up to me and t uh, told me that <coughs> he deliberately decided, before he started that uh, uh, experiment, that he was not going to do what I said. And that's fine, because under those circumstances, I always tell people they're free to accept or reject anything I'm saying. Therefore, we are in charge of ourselves. 
the point was that this man decided he was not going to come straight, uh, straight up when I suggested to people they should. And that just toward the end of having had his, his experience of daydreaming a former life, he said that he then became aware that he was back in the room, that I was talking, he heard me use the words, uh, asking people to resume their normal awareness. And he was up there in that corner of the room, looking down on everyone else. That he, uh, he then uh, told me, at one point I got up from sitting on the table, as I normally do, when I walked across, he expected me to touch him and I didn't, but he felt my thought and suddenly was awake. Now that is what I mean by awareness, not necessarily being in the brain. Alright? Now that may seem a unique incident, but the United States of America has for over 12 years now spent millions of pounds on what they term research into remote viewing. They have done so because the USSR have done exactly the same thing for over 25 years. Now, in this world, money talks, and if it was not possible to be aware outside the bounds of one's brain, would they still be spending that money? That's a pretty powerful argument, isn't it? You mean say dollars and rubles, so that is a good argument. But it's uh, not difficult to, in fact, get a group together where another person goes to a remote, an area remote from them and then either picks up an object or concentrates so becomes aware with a tremendous concentration becomes aware of the surroundings and for the people who are in the isolated room to then be able, if they are able to relax and allow their minds to daydream a little, become aware of ideas which come into their brain which they know are, or presume, are not of their immediate recollection and write those down or sketch them. It's not at all unusual that, you are that, uh, that at least one of six people and usually two or three of six people will be able to write down approximations of the experience of the remote person. And that is with very little training. Look at it this way. You've got a body, and your body is made of atoms, which we know uh, now, if you go down far enough, subatomic particles are not particles like motes of dust. They are probable patterns of energy. Mm -hmm. It's just an energy. Yeah, we are probable patterns of energy. That's we are energy. Probable. Very probable. <laughs> <laughs> but... <laughs> This is the best description that analytical physics can give us at the moment. We are probable patterns of energy. That's all. But our gross senses impose on that the patterns that we see and recognize. And we know that as soon... Uh, and we know that, that that energy stays in this particular mode. And yet, <laughs> what you're looking at here uh, practically everything that you, you are looking at here is quite new. I know I look my age, I'm 28. And <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Believe it or not, there's, there is scarcely an atom or cell in my body which I've had for more than seven years. In fact, the bits you're looking at here are no more than 28 days old. We shed our skin, our skin dies, we shed it every 28 days. 
<laughs> many of our cells uh, which are created in our body die within hours or even days you're always renewing your body not with your brain or with the consciousness of which I speak but with another focus of consciousness below that which preserves the pattern that is part of the larger consciousness of which your awareness is the narrow focus does that help? when the consciousness moves away completely then the consciousness which, which keeps building the body in this pattern moves as well and instead of keeping this pattern it then dissolves back into the, the lower patterns the patterns of cells and then atoms and then possibly even subatomic particles you had a comment? So, we have a body which is maintained by what in other circumstances people might call the spirit. But I don't like to use terms which may have connotations which I don't intend to carry. Um, we have also a brain which may be looked upon as a wonderful computer. The mind, when I speak of it, accounts for all those things that a computer cannot possibly have such as awareness of self no computer will ever have awareness of self appreciation of art an ability to understand the nuances of love no computer is going to be built that way be difficult to get along with them anyway um, and add to that a copy if you like of the patterns of thinking in your brain and there you have your mind it is all the superior qualities of mankind plus a carbon copy of the brain which I refer to as mind the brain I refer to as the computer it's the brain that drives the car well you don't drive cars much at the moment do you? I don't know, but it, all my advice. Anyway, it's, and you've probably become well aware in day a few times. It's the brain that drives the car. You have the conversation. Your awareness is is never in a car when you're driving, is it, Nigel? <laughs> <laughs> Did I ask the wrong person? <laughs> It's an Atlantean model of Volkswagen or not? That's so, that's so. With his customised leopard cover at the moment. When you've seen Harry's car, I remember saying there was no artifact left over from Atlantis, but since I've seen Harry's car. We live in a society that has told us to take no notice of our dreams, for instance. You're not encouraged to talk about dreams. But there have been civilizations that do. And I've had quite a lot to do with uh, fairly elderly people, some of whom have lost their partners of 40, 50 years standing. And it's not at all uncommon when that occurs. Soon after that occurs, usually within a month or six weeks, that the surviving partner uh, suddenly wakes up one morning with a brilliant, super real dream of the dead partner having been in association with them 
Um, uh, and they are, they are convinced that the experience of meeting their dead partner, although that dead partner usually appeal, uh, appears to be more alive and more young than they were in reality. This sort of contact in dream is not at all unusual. Now, it is easy to say that, well, under such circumstances, the mind, and that word is used in meaning so many different things, that's why we're interested to have that debate so that we can at least begin to understand what I mean by mind. Many people say the mind or the brain will make a, 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 a consolatory construct, a, a, a construct, a dream, uh, to offset the grief of the partner having died. It's very easy to say that, but there is no proof of that. And the commonality of this experience in elderly people, to me, is a suggestion that the dead partner does in fact try in some way to make contact with the surviving partner in many, many um, circumstances. The difficulty is that we live in a society which teaches us not to pay attention to dream, not to remember dream, and uh, I feel that that is uh, an unfortunate circumstance. Again, we normally receive other than the, what we are speaking in at the moment is what might be termed the normal wavelength of, uh, of communication. There are other communications which we can receive, telepathy for instance, where it's, uh, it has been shown to be factual, but in order to receive one needs to be very relaxed. On the whole, our society does not encourage us to be very relaxed individuals. So yes, people after death, if they wish to, can make contact, and often do, in my opinion. But remember, it is my opinion and my experience I'm speaking of, and there are others who will have other points of view. Your greater self, which is unimaginably intelligent in, in ways that we, being as we are, cannot easily understand, has elected to animate this machine with its computer in order to gain experience of the limitations of three-dimensional TikTok reality and the that experience to our brain is utterly incomprehensible but are we going to limit the understanding of our superior selves or our greater selves call it what you will to the understanding of our brain you see, there are things that you've already experienced in your life which were painful to you. We all experience things that are painful to us. But although those are very unfortunate at the time and we don't like them very much, it uh, does help us to lead a wider life later. We all uh, have, uh, most of us, when we get to the later life, forget the problems that we had when we were very young. All of us, I presume, are toilet trained. But <laughs> in order to establish that, often there is the infliction of a certain amount of displeasure upon the child, which is forgotten. But the child later conforms to the society and is better for having received that training. <laughs> and and Use the simile on a far vaster scale, and I think you'll understand the point I'm trying to put over. We are responsible for what we do, 
what we, in fact, we are responsible for, uh, for the world that we are creating by our being. 